to this. You know what? And in the ring with Dan and Benny, hey, brother, man, hey, he's about the most cat. I just love him to death. I love you. Thanks for having me. Hey, you're the best. I'm telling you, brother, in the ring with Dan and Benny. Yeah. We love you. Thank Woo. you so much, Dan. Oh, yeah. Hello, friends, and welcome to another edition of Dan and Benny in the Ring. I'm Dan Spasciano, joined, as always, by the BS Express himself, Benny Scala. Benny, how you doing, buddy? You know, Dan, in the course of my 29-year life, I'm using Scott Steiner math here, um, I've, I've mastered a couple of things here and there, but two things I have not mastered, which is the uh, backstroke and the Australian crawl. So uh, just to put it in perspective, this is uh, Wednesday, the 28th. It's about 721. And I am right outside of Tampa and uh, Hurricane Ian is attempting to do a run in. And uh, so my hope is that it, it does a Titus O'Neill slips and falls under the ring. Oh, man, that was the uh, that was in Saudi Arabia, wasn't it? I think so. That's funny. Yeah, well, hopefully, like you said, we're due to the weather. We're recording this early. So uh, Hurricane Ian, by by the time uh, you all are hearing this, that'll be old news and and benny will be telling us how well, he, he narrowly you don't hear me gurgle he, he narrowly escaped you know but uh look at the bright side benny i'm sure you've got plenty of uh plenty of women in the tampa area you're you'll run out or swim out and go save right absolutely they'll be waiting for me <laughs> well Actually, they'll swim to me what are you talking about <laughs> that's funny you know we um we, we, we like the personal side here, Benny, and uh, one of the things we've done a lot of is we've gotten family members uh, of people on uh, to tell us unique perspective stories, and I have to do the pun at least once just because we can. We have a wonderful guest with us tonight, Benny. Why don't you tell everybody who we got on the line? You know, you just mentioned about having you know sons and daughters of professional wrestlers. I think we had, we've had four or five, and the one, the one constant is every time they knock it out of the park, and they give a whole different perspective on life as a professional wrestler. And I have the feeling this is going to be no different. So tonight we have the son of one of my favorites, uh, legend, uh, legendary Mr. Wonderful, Paul, Paul Orndorff. So we have Travis Orndorff. Travis, welcome to Dan and Benny in the Ring. Hey, thank you guys for uh, allowing me to be on. And uh, I'm thinking of you and my own family that's down in uh, Tampa right now. So uh while i i do understand there was some kind of move you haven't uh figured out i i do pray that all you guys are safe and and uh you know this passes quickly and and, and safely and is not near what they had initially yeah. projected it to be here's hoping very much so uh well getting right into it we we always like to start with the same question for everybody because we've heard so many different answers and fun stories and everybody's unique in it obviously uh we tweak it a little bit because we're talking uh third person here but um you know we asked people how they got into professional wrestling how the bug bit them as benny likes to say uh but obviously we do it a little differently this time it it, it applies to your dad um but his story starts with football so i was wondering if you could tell us the story of how he morphed from professional football to professional wrestling yes yeah, so so it's 
I always try to uh, bring something to the table after I, you know, I've answered this question before, but I always try to, you know, uh, take the time to ask family and, and, and maybe get more perspective, ask my, you know, uh, immediate family, um, aunts, uncles, things like that. And, and um, so, you know, dad got drafted by the Saints. Um, he left. Here's the story I was told. I, I you know, again, this is all, you know, I've, I've, I've read everybody else's version, but what I was told by him and mom was um, when he was in the football, he, he was burnt out. Earl, I think it was Earl Bruce. I know Earl Bruce is his coach at, at, at Tampa, but <coughs> by the time he had gotten through Tampa, he just didn't love it anymore. And, and dad's feedback back then, and, and you know, I, I don't think people understand this because I think their perspective is NFL football. Well, back then they had to work two jobs and play football. It's not like they made, I think his salary was going to be maybe twenty-two dollars or $24,000 a year, um, you know, something along those lines. And, and, you know, it's not like they had insurance. It's just a completely different dynamic. So, um, but one of the things that dad was and, you know, and is uh, that would surprise you is dad was really shy. You know, he was not absolutely like introverted even. Um and so when he, you know, he liked to hit and that's why he loved football. But when he lost his love for it and then he went to the NFL, uh, you know, my understanding is they tried to embarrass him and have him uh, put on a skirt and get on top of a table and dance as a hazing ritual. And if you know anything about my dad, <laughs> you would think he did. It, I'm too manly. But it was really because he would be more embarrassed and, and he was shy. You know, which is ironic because he raised me and I think I've gotten on a table with a dress on without anybody asking me to. So, you know, it, it's funny how you come up a little bit different. But, you know, dad got out of football. I know he went to another team after that shortly. And, and it was kind of the same. He just wasn't committed. And uh, so he went to work. My grandfather, uh, Ross Lee Maxwell, um, he uh, went to work for my grandfather uh, at MetLife selling insurance. And <laughs> you can imagine it went extremely well. And so, you know, it was pretty much, you know, he was trying to figure it out. You know, he didn't know what he was going to do. My brother would have been, you know, four years old. Uh, you know, I think my dad was still doing bare knuckle fighting for money um, and, and different things like that. And, and so it was a Saturday morning and my dad and my grandfather were watching wrestling. And my dad looked at the TV and said, I can do that. And my grandfather goes, okay, I'll make a call. And if you knew my grandfather, he had just this personality. It was so magnetic. And, and somehow you could just, he knew everything about everything. Um, but he also knew everybody. Like if he didn't know that guy, he knew somebody who knew that guy. And so that's how my dad ended up wrestling is my grandfather made a phone call and uh, he went in and, you know, it was Hiro Matsuda and, um, and Eddie Graham and, uh, you know, they, they tortured him, you know, it was something like, you know, do a thousand Hindu squats. And so my dad's over in the corner and not only does it, he does the Hindu squats, but he does leaping Hindu squats. Cause that's what he always did. So he just did it. But I think when he got in there, it allowed him to, you know, transform from this shy, naive kind of kid to, you know, that it had a very rough childhood to, I'm strong, I'm built, and, and and you can't hurt me. I always said Mr. Wonderful was a persona to kind of protect that, that inner child. But the reality is dad got there. It was physically competitive. 
Um, they dangled a carrot all the time in every territory. From the time he started, it was be here the next day. So they dangled that carrot. And then, you know, dad got in the ring and he got to do something that, you know, allowed him to still be physical with without, um, you know, some of the other things that came with it. And and he just when he when he started, he fell in love. And, um, you know, most people don't know that he failed. He was like on his way out and was going to get fired. And, and, and he told me I got to talk to Jerry Jarrett recently. And it was, you know, that whole Bill Watts thing. And dad was like a middle card. And Jerry pulled Bill aside and goes, your best worker you got as a mid card. He's like, you need to put Paul on top. And so uh, Bill was like, but he's not doing X, Y, and Z. And Jerry's like, he's got the most, you know, personality and character and da, 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 da. And he's a worker. And so, uh, you know, Bill pulled that aside and said, if I don't see something tonight doing da, 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 uh, you know, you're done. And then dad was in a title run from then on. Nice. Speaking of the territories, uh, Travis, you, I think your dad was one of the last great wrestlers of the territory era. Era, So he did start in Florida, and I'm not sure if I have the timeline correct, but I think it was Memphis, Crockett, Mid-South, Georgia, and New Japan. I think he actually had two uh, two gigs in, in uh, Mid-South before he got the call to New York. And um, so we, we had Paige Von Hess Sutherland, uh, Kurt Von Hess's daughter, on a while back, and she described their nomadic lifestyle. They actually moved... 17 times in 10 years. Did you guys have experienced something like that? So I didn't. I was very fortunate. Um, you know, my dad and my mom got married. I, if I'm not mistaken, he I know he was 18. She was 17. My brother was born really young. So, you know, they struggled initially, as you can imagine. Uh, young couple, dad trying to be an athlete. In the first four years, he was going to college. Um, and so... You know, from the time that he started, you know, would have would have been around, you know, 74, 76 is really like kind of his first, you know, uh, 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 known or recorded match, you know, before he was just doing the smaller little towns. And um, so I was born in 78. Well, dad, you know, so I moved around like I I was born in Tampa. Um, I know we lived in Pensacola, Baton Rouge. Oklahoma, North Carolina, Tennessee, and then Georgia, all before I was five. Wow. So to be honest with you, the memory of those territories was more like they were vacations than <laughs> that was somewhere I lived. One, because I was so young and I just have like that image or a picture, you know, of us being on the beach. So that wasn't my experience at all. In fact, uh, so we moved to Fayetteville. We lived in Riverdale initially. Um, and I think we moved in when I was four and then my dad bought a house in Fayetteville, Georgia when, when I was five. Um, and, uh, that would have been, uh, 1983. And, um, you know, he, he, he lived in that house until, um, you know, uh, he, you know, finally was put in the hospital and then came to live with me. You know, before the, uh, before the, the, swerve bro era of vince russo and the recent jokes with the uh, with paul white's career uh people were pretty consistent and before we get into too much of the specifics and, and some of the nuance um your dad was very unique in the fact that he frequently turned between heel and face something very unusual you you touched on his charisma and likability and I was wondering if maybe you, you you thought maybe that's what that was or if you could expand on that idea of why 
why why was your dad the kind of guy if they needed to plug a new heel or a new face into the spot, Mister Wonderful was turning on somebody. So, you, number one, he wasn't a heel turn heel baby face prior to WWF. So he was a he was a baby face uh, up until you know the orange door. You know he was a Brandon Bull. It was a totally different. You know, and he was always, he, here's the thing about dad's matches. It didn't matter if he was a heel or a baby face. He wrestled with an intensity that looked like he was going to kill you. And if you liked the good guy, you hated him. And if you liked the, you know what I'm saying? Like, dad was believable in both characters. He could be a baby face. And, 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 and because of his intensity and work ethic, you know, you like in his body and all of those, you know, his, his his things, you wanted to root for him because God almighty, he just went at it. And I think even back then, even though, you know, it was a time where people believed it to be so real. Um, I think people had a higher standard of what a quality matches and there was a lot more patience. And, and so dad could dance. And I don't care who you were, because everybody came. Dad told me this when I was a kid. He was very adamant when he said this. He said, son, when you leave a room, they better like you or hate you, but they better not forget you. And I think that's just how dad approached it. Everywhere he went, you remembered him, whether he was good or bad, but it was because of his ethic, his work ethic, his character, his body, like everything about him was eat vitamins and say your prayers, but you know, he looked the part more than anybody, but obviously he had that, you know, the, the, the Mr. Wonderful side. So um, I, I think at the end of the day, uh, what dad always told me about, you know, being a heel is those are the ones that make money consistently. So um, I think he enjoyed being a heel more because I think he got to kind of almost let go some of that aggression that he, he was holding in um, from, you know, some of the things that he dealt with over the years. So at, at the, at the end of it, we, you know, when it was with Vince, um, you know, dad was malleable. Um, he was likable and hateable all at the same time. That actually makes sense. <laughs> so, uh, well, thank you. I thought it did too. So, well, no, and, and you know, cause I, I will go ahead, Dan. Oh, I was going to say, I will say, though, um, you know, despite the fact that he, he he the McMahons had him flip back and forth, his turn on Hogan is still regarded as one of the best pure heel turns in, in the history of the business. Well, uh, and, I, and here's why. And again, you got to have, you know, I'm a bit of a historian, so you've got to have perspective around this. So uh, not to suggest, like, if you go back and watch some of the videos, it's really bad acting, right? Like, if you really get into it, you see Hogan. Dads get mad about a phone call, and you're like, for ah, uh, you know. Although, I know a lot of people that react that way if you don't respond to a text message. So I got to be honest with you. I think my dad was on the train way before everybody else about being impatient about response time. So um, that, okay. So again, you go back to these territories. When I would travel with my dad during, you know, the WrestleMania uh, WWF years, and, and I did have the opportunity to travel, and I got to do it for an extended period of time. 
and it might be a month a year or three weeks a year, or, you know, an entire summer. It was always something every year where I got to be exposed over, you know, an 18 year period. So I got to see the WWF days when dad was on top and we were, you know, dad was putting me, no joke, in the the, the floorboard of a car as we're trying to get out of town because the, the fans had attacked the car and were trying to tip us over. So I saw that side, but I also saw the WZW side when it was now sports entertainment and, you know, dad got had the flat top and I was at the, dude, I went to the power plant twice a week to have lunch with him. And maybe to see some of the female wrestlers. But, you know, if you got to if you had the opportunity to see that entire period, you would know that during that time, you know, when they did WrestleMania one, um, that was closed circuit television. And it was the first one. And you could watch it in just about every town in America at a stadium. That was the beginning of a national audience for wrestling. You, you know, they had territories in Portland and a little bit in California. But when you talk about people in the middle of Nebraska loving a New York event, that was the beginning. So you even got to go back a, a step further. You only had three channels. So there might have been an hour of that type of entertainment a week at best on a Saturday morning. Now you have it on USA and you have it on Saturday night's main event. So while there was tons of that stuff during the seventies and sixties and Vern Gagne and some of the, that was the first time you ever saw it on television. That was the first time it was a national audience that somebody betrayed and specifically somebody of Hulk Hogan, Hulk Hogan and my dad's stature after just coming after the first national televised event uh, um, in the U S for, for that, from, from that perspective. That's fair. You, you know, we we didn't think to, uh, you know, we were talking before we went on. Uh, I didn't think to lay down any ground rules. And I will say, you know, you didn't know no harm, no foul. But but you, one thing I cannot allow is someone to come on this show and, and criticize Hulk Hogan's acting. That's just not going to happen. So <laughs> um, would you rather me attack his character? <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Nanny is still the best movie ever. Um. We, well, um, there's a reason we'll probably just do a podcast and not talk afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> it's a one-off. <laughs> so, Travis, your, your dad actually, I believe he debuted at uh, for the WWF on the same card uh, that uh, Hulk took the, the title from the Iron Sheik. But within a matter of weeks, he's facing, he's getting title shots. And there were no shortage of great heels in the WWF at that time. So, to me, like, that speaks volumes as far as what you know, what Vince McMahon Jr. thought of your dad, am I on track there? Um, no, and I don't mean that in a, in, in a bad way. You've got to remember that was Vince McMahon Sr. that recruited my father and Hogan. Um, so Vince McMahon Sr. came to my dad in I think 1980 or 81, a couple of years before he ended up signing with New York, and dad said he wasn't ready. Dad actually told Vince, Man, I'm not ready okay. for the New huh. York territory. Um, so what I will credit Vince McMahon Jr. for is he understood a broader audience, and I don't mean any disrespect to any wrestling fan, but from a physical and, and likable uh, individual on a, uh, as your, I don't know, your starting quarterback of your current NFL team, um, Bruno San Martino is not going to be nationally welcome during the early 80s. There was still a lot of, you know, 
uh, in my opinion, there was still a lot of, you know, uh, discrimination and, and, and things going on that, you know, it, you know, it's the Reagan times, but you needed a different face than Bruno's. I'm he, I'm no offense. He was, he's at the end of his career, you know, but Hulk Hogan at, you know, he's kind of all American, you know, I, you know, it's certainly at the time blonde hair, you know, he's got the tan, he's from California, you know, all that stuff. And, um, it, it, it was with Hulk and my dad, they were bringing a, a better level of talent, but also younger talent that had, uh, I think a more broader, uh, likability and approach. I think they're, their uh, ability to be captured and it, like dad could again i think he was welcomed in every territory went whereas some some gimmicks might not work in one territory to the next and they would stop it and do another one or whatever so you know those guys and, and the way that that you know dad said one time that uh when vince jr took over and he started the process he already had the vision of wrestlemania one and how it built up and how he was going to build out the shows. I mean, we might, he would wrestle, uh, you know, say Tito, and it would be realistically the same match in four towns, but it would broadcast on Thursday night on USA. So, you know, it was just a different period of time. It was, a, it was a, those guys, Vince knew those were the right courses at the right time to carry, to carry wrestling, and he took advantage of it. Gotcha. Well, you know, you, you talked about, and that that's actually a great segue because you talked about the the faces, you know, the 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 New York market, and I mean, Benny's mentioned it a lot, and we've talked about it before. Bruno was very much the 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 New York New Jersey champion, if you were to picture, you know, a New York fighter. Uh, but the, they were a Northeast company, and a lot of folks who worked for the WWF, especially during their big expansion, ended up living in the Northeast. Uh, whore, you know, uh, Jim Cornette's told some horror stories about his time living up there. J.J. Dillon uh, had to sell a house because of the pay cut he took living where he was in Connecticut. Uh, there was recent stories not, but a year or two ago during the pandemic of, of Eric Bischoff moving to the north to outside of Stanford and then being fired two weeks later. And uh, yeah, so, I mean, there, there's a lot of stories that come with the Northeast. Your, your dad said many times in interviews in the past, he wanted no part of living in new England and living in the Northeast and obviously ended up uh, buying a house in Atlanta of everywhere, especially at the time with the travel. Why, why Atlanta? Actually, that's um, a really simple answer. Um, and it makes, again, my dad, it's so funny when you think about him because, you know, he wasn't, you know, college educated, you know, but God almighty, he was smart and he saw trends. And uh, we moved to Atlanta because of Hartsfield International Airport. You might know that is the biggest airport in the world now. So at the yes, time, sir. Delta had moved in and dad's like, I can live here, buy a house for a hundred thousand versus half a million i can go hunting every weekend we lived on two acres of land and behind us was like 60 acres which got turned into recreate rec park later on but like 
my dad liked to go hunting during, you know, the winter. And so he was going to had no, there's no way on God's green earth. He would have moved up North. He would have never moved back to Florida either. Cause it was too hot. But you know, dad was, dad was a country boy and, and he grew up in the country of Florida. He wasn't like in a, a major city until, you know, he went to the university of Tampa. Um, so, you know, he was not going to go buy at the time, a half a million dollar house in New York when he could buy a hundred thousand dollars house in Fayetteville, Georgia, in a suburb with, you know, that was voted the number one place to live in America at the time, like in the mid eighties there, like Fayette County, which is Peachtree city. So, you know, we lived there, there was no traffic. I, you know, there was trees hanging over gravel roads. And so we would hit highway 85 and be at the airport in 15 minutes. Dad could fly a, a direct flight to anywhere in the country. And Delta was stationed there. And because of wrestling, he was a million mile, you know, sky mile member. Uh, the Delta Redcoats were friend of his. They would go hunting with him. So there was times that the Delta Redcoats would, uh, which they were like a concierge service. Think of it like uh, uh, the Ritz Carlton. I don't know if they still do them, but they were legit. They would come pick me up at my house and take me to the airport, check me into my plane. And then I would go meet dad in the town. Like that's the kind of level of life we had being in 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 Fayetteville. Um, I went to you know Woodward Academy, a private school and a Montessori school, and so we lived in a very safe area. And um, you know I had a, a you know a pretty abnormal but more normal childhood than most people believe. I lived in a cul-de-sac. You know I rode my bike around. It wasn't there wasn't anybody that that was coming to the house as fans when I was a kid at all, right? Um, and, and I don't, I think he, you know, besides the hunting, um, and I, he owned a truck from the time I was born. Um, that was, that was what dad's life was about was just kind of being in the woods when he wasn't in the ring. You might've just answered this question for me, but I was going to ask you, what was it like, you know, as a, as a kid being the son of Mr. Wonderful, but uh, as far as conversations in the neighborhood or conversations in school, but w- was there much of that? Because you said you lived in a cul-de-sac and went to private school. So that kind of mitigate, you know, especially when your dad turned heel. So here's what was weird because I was with my dad when uh, I could be with my dad at a baseball game when I'm six. Right. And I'm on the field. And of course I'm looking for my father and my mom and I'm seeing 30 people stand in front of him so he can't see my game. So I, I, I would tell you, like, when I went to school, nobody said anything. You know, I was there. How many four and five year olds watched wrestling? You know, I mean, I know they do today, but back then it wasn't the norm. Right. You know, and, and you know, that was a late night television show or a very early Saturday morning uh, on the opposite channel of cartoons. And, and so. Um, you know, kids weren't, I, I heard it more for adults, um, you know, like teachers and, 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 and uh, like coaches on the other teams and, and things like that. It wasn't really until, you know, as I got older, it, the, the problem was dad's name was Paul Orndorff and I was Travis Orndorff. And so when people hear that name, it certainly at that time, and even still today, there's no, there's no like, oh, I know an Orndorff. There's, it's, oh. Uh, are you related to, you know, that's, that's kind of the first reaction. So that was, I couldn't go anywhere when I was a kid, like even the dentist, like they were like, what, you know? So it was, it, it, it always felt like I had a spotlight on me. Um, 
in those situations. So there was times I could escape it, but there was times where there was zero escape. And 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 it 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 could it could fluctuate from minute to minute. Like I can remember like going into a Waffle House and sitting there and having a meal, but being anxious the entire time we were going to get interrupted because I just wanted to talk to my dad for a minute, right? And so it was it, I wouldn't say it was I was jealous, you know, a lot of times because I just, I wanted him to myself. Well, I, I guess I'll just quick kind of expand because puts what you were saying. So you were, I guess, elementary school age then at the, at the height of your dad's popularity. Um, yeah. So we'll say from 1978, I was born and we'll say his popular 83 to 87. So that would have put me five to 10 years old. Okay. You know, again, you talk about popularity. That that's another good segue. Your your dad's mentioned before uh, in interviews he's, he he had done in the past uh, that he feels he could have been WWF champion and drawn money as a heel champion. Something that they were not really prone to do at the time between Hogan and and Savage being a face and the Warrior. Uh, you know. I mean, I personally, I agree with, I've always thought, you know, the, the heel champion can draw money, especially that they, they say the money's in the chase. You know, um, we, we've talked about it on the show before the NWA, uh, Crockett, Memphis, mid South, a lot of the big territories used the heel chase with Harley race and Ric Flair and Ricky steamboat and dusty Rhodes. even recently with the anniversary of Ronnie Garvin winning the title, after a very lengthy chase of, of Ric Flair being a, a heel champion, one of the biggest draws in wrestling history. Um, we had an entire show uh, on Billy Graham, how he would have had a run uh, or whether or not he should have had a longer run. I mean, as, as heel champion. Uh, so I was just wondering what your thoughts were on that when you're on your dad's opinion there of, of could he have been a, a big draw, like a big star as, as a heel champion as the champion dan i let me so I'll, I'll answer it two ways uh the first one is could he have been absolutely anybody that says otherwise is an idiot dad dad drew money everywhere he went he drew money when he was at wcw even in his later days you know he got over at 55 he was ripped apart and training the natural born thrillers and they got a pop and, you know, so um, there's been periods of time he's trended on Twitter and I wasn't on social media for years. Um, I stayed away from it because after, you know, it kind of ended and I got into my early twenties, all I wanted was some anonymity. I wanted to control the narrative, if you will. So, <laughs> you know, there was zero social media for, for a long, long time. Um, he absolutely could have been champion. I, I think anybody that, that, that says otherwise would be an idiot. But I would say the same thing about Rowdy Piper um, and, and Ultimate Warrior and 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 um, Ultimate Warrior and uh, Randy Savage. And I no disrespect to him. They they came after dad and they were kind of a different iteration. Uh, um, and, um, you know, Ultimate Warrior was just kind of an exaggerated. Undisciplined version of my dad. Um, 
and, and you know that I'm just talking about his wrestling, I, like he 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 there he was a bodybuilder, and, and he had a great persona, and you know that gimmick wouldn't fly today at all, <laughs> just to be honest. But True. it was right. It was a good time. It was the right time, and um, you know you 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 got to kind of you got to understand the waves of some of these things. So you know during during the earlier eighties, there was less TV exposure. So keeping the belt on Hogan for longer, it took longer for people to find out. You know what I'm saying? So right. you couldn't move the belt as much as you can now because everybody will find out 30 seconds before it actually happens. You know, somebody will leak it. It'll be on the internet. So, you know, to be able to watch the story and be able to carry along with the story, I think you got to go back to that period of time. And it took a while to build the idol Hulk Hogan. Like, it was 19, like, he wasn't at his peak until after death. I, you know, he had, that was a buildup to his popularity. And I think the height of his, his his popularity was was 87, you know, when he started, like, right after Andre and, uh, you know, right before Warrior. That period of time, the Reagan years, right before Bush and the Iran, like, Iran-Contra scandal. Like, that was the peak of our, almost the United States in many ways, uh, economically, and certainly red, white, and blue, and, and, and Hulk, you know, true or not true from, from the reality of who he is, that gimmick sold that message to the, to the people at the right time. And, and, you know, I'm a real American, like nobody would play that music today, not a single person. But you had the Sergeant Slaughters and the Corporal Kirshners and Nikita Koloffs and, and and Ivan Koloffs. And it was just a a you, you'd almost have to have you would have scripted it based on the people that were watching at that time. So there's no question you could have been champion. But in my opinion, they made a lot of money. I don't think dad being champion would have changed that. I don't think Roddy being champion would have changed that. It'd just be different in the history books but they'd still be just the legends they were for what they did and how they wrestled. Well, follow up to that. Then you talk about the money and your dad was a very, had a reputation as, as he knew the business. He thought he could have been a good champion. Did he, was he ever bothered or upset that he wasn't, or was it like, I get why I was, I think I could have been, but I get why I wasn't. Oh, there was no, I get that was not my dad's personality at all. I mean that even if he thought it, like, I don't think he would allow himself to do that. Cause that was almost a defeatist attitude. Um, and, and so understand with my father, um, you know, and I don't mind sharing this because, you know, it's something I've struggled with myself, not in, not this particular, but mental health. Um, dad was bipolar. So, there was sometimes you were talking to Mr. Wonderful and this ego would come out and you would be completely shocked because it out of nowhere, uh, based on a normal conversation, it's almost like he would go into that mode. And then there were times where he was completely at peace and completely calm and his emotions were very balanced and his response would be, eh, you know, I made a lot of money. So, you know, he could roll with that. And it, and it's funny, I was talking a few years ago and, and, and I can't remember the guy's name. Uh, he he's a, a journalist for wrestling for a long time. Dave Metzler, does he? Dave Meltzer. Meltzer, yeah. okay. Um, so you know, like I can remember uh, hearing a story about you know him him having a conversation with my dad, and he was describing it, and and I literally just sat there and laughed because he believes that's really who my dad is, and I'm like, dude, 
He was in Orndorff. He was in Mr. Wonderful mode. That's that's who he is when you get him with the right people having the right conversation. It, like, he can jump into a promo when he was, like, you know, he his arrogance and per- persona and bravado, it was like that a lot. But there was times where that went away completely. And I got to see both sides. And I got to ask questions about both sides of that conversation. So what I would tell you is, you know, did it bother him? Yeah, I think it did. But at the end of the day, um, uh, you know, that was more about some of the relationships and the backstabbing. And, you know, I've met a lot of wrestlers in my day. And, 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 you know, you know, they play a character all the time, especially the older guys. And, you know, I think a lot of them were, you know, it's like method acting. They become that person whether they want to or not. And uh, so, so many of them lost their identity in that, in that, in that person. And I would tell you, dad struggled with it at times. You know, I think he, he kind of went back and forth between that. And uh, at the end of the day, especially as he got older and he talked about the relationships he had with Terry or Hogan uh, and Roddy, and he was so heartfelt and uh, grateful and, and appreciative um, you know, same things. He remembered like there was just this 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 sweetness of, of the memories he had about Ric Flair. And there was just a change in his bravado, very much so towards the end where there was no question he was at peace with his career and happy with what uh, what he stood for. I, you know, at the same time, uh, his personality got him in a lot of trouble and, and he rubbed uh, Vince the wrong way with how he left WWF and um, you know, he, he could be a hothead. So, you know, dad was hard to control. So when you get into the title thing, especially at that time, that was a very fragile business as it went from a territory to a national brand. Um, if I'm being completely transparent, uh, if I was the business owner of WWF back in 1983, my father, even if it was my own dad, I would have been hesitant to give him the title because I didn't know if I could keep him under control. I think your dad, there was a select few wrestlers. Like I could have easily seen your dad as, as the heavyweight champion, the intercontinental champion or a tag team champion, but he's, and the guys that come to mind for me, like you said, Roddy Piper, your dad, and and maybe like a Jake Roberts where they were just so good and they drew money that, you know, the the belt really wouldn't have done much of anything for them. They, they still would have had that same main, main event status and made the same kind of money. They They just didn't have the belt. But my, my question is, um, Travis, it's, your dad was injured and went up leaving the WWF at a relatively young age of 38. He mentioned, I, I listened to an interview, and he said, I think he got kicked in the neck or something like that. And that's, you know, he got sustained nerve damage, uh, and that caused his right arm to atrophy. Do I have that right? Yeah. Um, so... Um, it wasn't, it was nerve and spine damage. Um, but let, let's, let me say this. Um, I've heard stories. Um, I, I know that story in particular. I I know the time, I know the match, I know the situation, I know the wrestler, I know the move. Here's what I would say to that. And, you know, I, I hope I can, you know, probably quash this for permanently. Um, anybody that tries to convince me that my father, a non-medical doctor who played football from the time that he was, uh, able to walk and then wrestled every night of the week, seven days a week, mostly, 
Um, even at the WWF, it was six, seven days a week. Um, nobody will ever, ever convince me that that single incident caused dad's damage and that he was able to know that that single incident was the reason that damage happened. I, it, it's just absolutely ridiculous. Um, there, there's just no way. Because he didn't leave the ring after that happened and go see a doctor and they go, let me just tell you what just happened. This was very much speculation. Um, um, I, I'll tell you this, and this is, you know, to give you perspective on it. And, and, and so I personally have uh, a, um, not the exact same injury as dad, but very similar. I have a compressed neck. I don't have the spinal damage. Obviously, I didn't take the bumps he did. But the short of it is I ended up kind of the same situation. I had a bicep slap tear from working out. I just overextended. Next day, I threw a softball. The short version is that my bicep came off, rotator cuff, labrum. The, the tricep twisted over my humerus, and it was wow. still intact. And But the bicep was off, so it spiral fractured my um, – it spiral fractured – through here and the bone fragments went through my radial nerve and left me with wrist drop. So I had 50 staples here. They put the plate in, reattached everything up here. I was paralyzed for several years. Um, you know, right here I ended up having, because my I had wrist drop, my hand was paralyzed. So they cut my tendons and they fused them in on my ulna nerve. So now my hand works, but only on the bottom because I'm paralyzed on the top. So from here down, you can see there's no radial nerve. That being said, I was working out at the gym doing inclines the day before, and I heard a pop, and the next day I threw a softball. I'm still not positive that's how it happened. That's just the order of events I remember. So, you know, imagine all the damage Dad sustained to his neck and back. He could have already been on the brink of it, and then right. that instant – that goes, but it was a deterioration. So, uh, yes, it was said that the individual had been drinking and was, you know, wasn't able to get up and wasn't paying attention to the moves. And instead of a, a, a drop kick, he ended up, you know, dad went down and, 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 and he got kicked in the, in the face under the neck. And, and dad said, you know, he think that's when it happened, but man, I think anybody that were to make that claim and, 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 and say those names of individuals that have been, that would be irresponsible and, and completely uh, ridiculous because there's no freaking way anybody knows. Gotcha. So here's a question I definitely want to ask, and I, I would love to hear your dad's perspective on this, but Ric Flair recently wrestled at the age of 73. I think your dad and Ric Flair were born in the same year, 49. That's um, correct. And Flair's match was, uh, I, I have the, the note, an unmitigated disaster. And I, I, he was lucky to survive the thing. I mean, he looked like, I mean, he actually supposedly passed out a couple of times during the match. He was lucky he came out alive. But what would, if, if your dad was around and somebody had asked him what his opinion was of Flair doing this, what would he have said? So, um, well... Depends on when you, if you asked him 30 years ago when he would have had the, you know, the, his, 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 you know, CTE damage wasn't, um, so, you know, so onset and, and struggling, but here's what, here's my opinion. Here's what I'm going to say, because I don't, I really don't have a clue what dad would say. Um, and I usually, I usually have a pretty good idea because he was a pretty opinionated dude. So he shared a lot. Um, but, uh, in my opinion, if dad could have gotten a ring at 73, he would have done it. 
<laughs> so say what you want about Ric Flair. Um, I think your dad would have been in a lot better shape, though. That's well, that's true. Dad probably would have said Rick, you know, like, you know, but I, you know, I heard here's a better answer for you. I've got, you know, on, you know, we have our uh, legacy uh, social media pages uh, on Facebook and Twitter and, and Instagram. And uh, so dad went up to some show in, you know, some convention back in 2017. And he did two bumps during that little convention at a wrestling match. So, uh, you know, dad did it. He five years ago. So, so I don't think you can, I just don't think you can really, uh, uh, fault the guy for taking advantage and living his life to the end. Now, was it an unmitigated disaster? Quite honestly, I've watched a lot of wrestling. that has been an unmitigated disaster <laughs> in my <laughs> lifetime. And, and I've met a lot of those guys that were unmitigated disasters. So, you know, he took a shot at it, you know, maybe they overdid it. Uh, I was there at Starcast. I thought, um, I thought that, uh, Connor did, a uh, a phenomenal job across the board. Um, I thought the fans were very appreciative. There were some mishaps as as there is in any large event. But um, if you're a Ric Flair fan and you got to see it, not a wrestling fan, if you're a Ric Flair fan, that meant the world to you. Whether whether your opinion might be different, right? You're a wrestling fan. But if you loved Ric Flair, you might have a different opinion. But I uh, I personally wouldn't have put myself in that situation because of his health condition, you know. Uh, but you know, uh, how old's Nick Saban? He's on the sideline of Alabama. It's just not an unmitigated disaster, right? <laughs> Maybe more like a more more like a Penn State analogy. The yeah. Turnout. yeah. Oh, to, oh, to, oh, oh, that I, I, I don't mean that the Bobby Bowden. Effect. Bobby Bowden. Well, I, well, I don't mean the uh, I don't mean the obvious after. I mean, the fact that he he was to the point where he was in the booth because he physically couldn't stand on the sideline for an entire game. Absolutely. By the end of his career. Well, he got tackled a couple times. Yeah. Well, you know, he, he, we talked about the transition. He, you know, he moved on from wrestling. Um, he retires from the WWF and he goes to Fayetteville, Georgia and opens up a bowling alley. Now, I'm curious why a bowling alley and not a gym or something, given his devout de- devotion to fitness. So. Um, Dad always said after, you know, after the bowling center um, that he wishes he had opened a gym. Um, however, um, have y'all ever seen that ESPN 30 for 30 broke? Yeah. Okay. About so, all the, all the athletes and everything. You should throw like professional wrestlers are in the same mix. And so dad was hurt, tired. I mean, he'd been wrestling at that point for, you know, 15 years, a lot of road time, you know, a lot of body damage, a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot, of, a lot of road miles. Um, he missed being a family man. Um, he had become a Christian. And I think um, the lifestyle was in conflict with his faith. And um, he had 
um, a, a, a guy that was a mentor to him was a, a dentist uh, down in uh, Tampa or Brandon. My mom worked for him and uh, turned him on to a financial advisor. Financial advisor is the one that came up with the idea of the bowling center. Um, and there was a group of people, you know, that were, were, were investors and so forth and so on. Um, as somebody who's been in corporate America and, 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 um, has had the opportunity to, to, uh, work in finance, um, dad should have never opened a business period. He had no idea what he was doing. You, you shouldn't just open a business cause you have a personality and you know, like dad knew how to work out himself. He didn't know how to run a gym. You know, he didn't understand memberships and, you know, equipment and inventory and health sure, benefits yeah. and all the things that come to managing. And when it came to the bowling center, it's not like dad was there managing people. Or I, I don't think I ever saw him, you know, uh, pull a ploy aside. He had a manager that did all that. Uh, the manager did a great job. But uh, one of the decisions that dad made when he opened the bowling center uh, because of his faith. Uh, he made it non-smoking, or I'm sorry, uh, uh, non-alcoholic. There's no beer served, and uh, quite honestly, that's your number one, you know, profit. That's but Dad true. wouldn't allow alcohol even to the end, and, and so he sold it instead of put alcohol in the bowling center. Um, and uh, was that a poor financial decision? Absolutely. Uh, could he have lived with himself? If he did it. I don't think so. Uh, that was dad's conscience. And if there's one thing my father did is, you know, he did what he said and he, and he lived, he lived exactly how he believed. He told G he went to the gym five days a week. He went, probably went to the gym six and he forgot one day. <laughs> you know, so I'm serious. Like he, he was a man of his word. You know, there was a rule growing up with him. Um, and, and it was something that, you know, you know, when you grow up in a spotlight, you really start to become very um, chameleon like. And, you know, in many ways, I had lost my own identity because of having to have, you know, some of the, you know, dealing with a lot of that and a lot of the exposure, a lot of the times and you're kind of always living up to everybody's expectations or feeling like you have to live up to everybody's expectations. And, uh, you know, so being being during that time and, 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 and knowing where what dad's heart and, and, and identity was. You know, with me, the rule was you just didn't lie to him, right? Um, because that was, you know, dad was a man of character. Um, but um, his his strong belief system, and I've I've been I've been guilty of this as well. Um, sometimes we've convinced ourselves of things as truths that may or may not be true, but that's just how we feel. But we're very very uh, uh, attached to that emotion. And so we act accordingly, feeling good about the decision, and uh, later on realizing, you know, with a little more context, we might have might have come to another conclusion. You know, you mentioned lifestyle. Your dad, when it, his heyday in the WWF was was marked by a lot of drugs and alcohol, and I always, you know, envision your dad kind of as a lone wolf. You know. He, I got the impression like he, he wasn't going to do any of that because he had to be at the gym the next morning. And he also seemed like a, a from, you know, from what I've heard, a man who was, you know, fiscally conservative and he wanted to keep his money in his pocket. Um, did that ever create any? Is that true? Number one. And number two, if it is, did it create any conflict with his peers? So, first of all, um, 
I'm not aware of any conflict my dad had with his peers other than Vader and, and Atlas. And I'm just being honest. Like, I, first of all, I don't think many people, I think most people respected my dad and quite honestly are a little afraid of him. Um, I think they knew I, I he had, I, I think because if not, you know, you may be the biggest guy in the room, but if you know somebody's got a different gear than you and you know you don't have that gear, you don't want to get in a fight with them. So it's not that dad was the, always the biggest guy in the room, but there were guys that were like, I don't think I'd bite his ear off. And I think he would bite mine off. Like, like I'm serious. Like, I'm just telling you, dad had, I, dad had a gear that scared the crap out of people. I think they knew, like, again, this is no disrespect. These were some of the strongest men you would ever meet in your life and physically big. And I think dad scared of them a lot. Um, because he, man, when he had a temper, you know, I think you've heard the story of, uh, Heenan, I, I, you know, Don Morocco, they were in the car in New York and dad missed the exit like three times. And you know, anything about Bobby, cause he did this stuff to me. Even when I was a kid, he would, he could, he could poke, man. He could really rib you. And he was, man, he was riding dad about missing that exit. Dad ripped the steering wheel off the car while they were driving. <laughs> You know, and also I told that story when people were like, that's not true. You're exaggerating. Yeah. So I just came up with a story. My dad ripped a steering wheel off the car and I pulled that out of my head. Um, Every story I've ever told, I've heard more than likely from another wrestler. And I went back to dad. I'm like, did you? And, you know, of course, all that stuff comes out much later in the years. And these were things I heard when I was like 16, 17. I'm just like, dad would just look at me like, you know, and uh, it was, you know, he, he would just kind of like, Travis, KP, don't, don't say anything from your mother. You know, just, but there was, there was all kinds of stuff that I, you know, I've told people that my brother got in trouble once and was trying to steal the car keys and, and dad had had this like 87 Cadillac and he grabbed the door. He didn't rip it. Like he pulled it and bent it across oh, like, and on the hinges. <laughs> like, so the door was parallel with the front end of the car. And, uh, I mean, I, I remember one time some promoter threw him over or something. Um, you know, I've told this story, but I got one I haven't told before. Uh, uh, he threw the phone through the microwave and like, I went to go pull, you know, it's with the long phone cords and like, I'm pulling it out of the micro and it had gone through, you know, there's like, I didn't know how microwaves were built at the time, but I found out like there's two plates of glass. It went through both. And like the phone was in the dented side of the back end of the microwave still. And I had to go throw the microwave into the trash. I mean, um, but uh, like I had, I had gotten really like deathly ill. And and when I was a kid, Um, in fact, I've recently had a health scare and I'm, I'm working on getting it managed um, as we speak. So Luckily, I can do this from home because I don't get to leave the house too much right now as I'm recovering. Um, but uh, I got really, really sick, and they thought uh, they 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 told my dad because I went from like 52 pounds, or I was a I was a black belt in karate, I just won a couple um, tournaments, and then all of a sudden I started having this extreme pain in my my feet and hands. Um, uh, I, I was given a bad diagnosis back then, but later we we've come to understand it as erythromyalgia. 
but um, I was in extreme pain, and and I went from like 83 pounds, athletic, playing baseball, these things, to 52 pounds in about three weeks, and 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 wow. was in the hospital at Emory, and <laughs> I shouldn't laugh at this, but so uh, they were doing all these tests to try to figure out, but you know, uh, it's a nerve disorder, so it wasn't, you know, I, I don't think people realize how much modern science has advanced in the last 20 years in regards to our nervous system and, and neurological diseases and things like that. But uh, they told my dad I had a brain tumor. Um, and this is like the head of, you know, uh, the cancer unit at, at Emory uh, at Eagleton Hospital, which is like a children's hospital. And mom said she he grabbed the dude by the neck and put him up against the wall and was like, my son doesn't have cancer. And I'm not going to say he didn't say it that way and he didn't use those words. There might have been some profanity, but this doctor was off his feet about a foot off the ground with my dad holding him up saying, my son doesn't have a tumor. So he he just and that's the side. Like if you caught his heart the wrong way, whoo, I saw one last thing. I saw somebody at a restaurant once make fun of a uh um, disabled child and that might have been the scaredest I've ever been of my father because I couldn't calm him down like they had to remove the guy because dad was about to kill him like I, I'm not even like I I I think that's the thing that other wrestlers saw that I never saw it in my life but I think they had more visibility of it because anybody that tells you that my dad didn't drink or do drugs or anything back in those days is a liar. First of all, go to a hotel back in 1984 in the middle of whatever town Louisiana. There's three channels, no remote, and no gym at 7 o'clock at night. There was no 24-hour gyms back then. What do you think they did? I'm dad, dad wasn't back in the room when he was 29 years old in New York reading the Bible. Like, I, what, I, I guess mean, it, like, not to be like, I don't mean to be like, I mean, he's my father and I love him. We've had this conversation, but let's be honest. Like that's, it was New York in the eighties. There was a lot of drugs. You've heard the Rick James stories. That stuff was going on in wrestling. And you know, heard the story about Andre going to studio 54 with my dad. You think there wasn't that stuff there? I mean, come on. You know, the difference is, is back then, and I don't think people realize this, is it wasn't, first of all, it wasn't laced with everything, but second of all, it wasn't really illegal. Like, it was kind of getting to that point. It was readily available, uh, you know, especially in New York around Wall Street. And, you know, Dad was, you know, but don't don't kid yourself. I, I won't get into detail. Here's what I'll say about Dad, what Dad said to me um, when he, you know, he, he tried to warn me about alcohol and stuff, and I didn't listen. Um I dealt with anxiety and I used it to, you know, to, to kind of settle it and be more comfortable and, you know, and, and, you know, going out and being in public. And, and uh, so, you know, dad tried to warn me, but here's what dad always understood about all that stuff. Um, he knew not to overdo it. And so did he ever do steroids? Absolutely. Look at him from 1979 to 83. Like you're, you don't put on 20 pounds of muscle that way without help. Uh, you know, and, and, and so, uh, again, things were different then, but you know, dad, dad knew to cycle it. Like dad would tell me, he's like, yeah, I did it. He's like, what I didn't do is do it one after the other, after the other, I would do a cycle. 
take six months off, do another. He's like, I did it the right way. And I did it for a very short period of time to achieve this result. And then I didn't have to do anything but maintain. So the, the, the difference between him and those other guys is it was every night. They didn't eat right. They didn't hydrate. They didn't go to the gym. They didn't. One thing you didn't mess with with dad was his sleep. And, and I mean that because if you didn't, if you did, he was grouchy. So, you know, dad was dad. Dad had that discipline that always brought him back to the gym. So did he have a good time? Yes, but it was very isolated. Um, but but to be honest with you, I did not I, like I had to beg my dad when I was 21 to take me to get a beer. I don't think growing up I ever saw him drink alcohol other than a glass of red wine at, at bedtime when he'd go to bed um, because he said it was healthy for him. And that that would that was it. Like I, we had water bottles in our house, like the big jugs. That's all we drank was water. Um, might have milk every once in a while, uh, but that wasn't you know dairy wasn't big. We never ate cheese. Uh, we weren't allowed to have salt on the table. We didn't have butter on the table. We had pepper, hot sauce, and lemon wedges most of the time for our, you know seasoning. In uh, pepper sauce, you know like. We, we ate extremely healthy. We ate fermented vegetables. We stopped by every single honey stand that we could find and boiled peanuts <laughs> and, you know, vegetables. Like, dad would go down the street and get our vegetables and bring it back, and we would eat. We ate a lot of fish. You know, dad, dad was so disciplined about his diet and, and all those other things. And, and so could he do this on a night and take the next day off and then get back to it? Yes. And, and I think, you know, he just – He's one of those people that he just he never became an addict. He never got hooked on anything. Even later in life, when he had to take the pain pills, he refused to take them. He wouldn't take them because it mm. messed up his stomach because he didn't like not being able to go to the bathroom. Uh, so they, uh, he was funny about what he put in his body, man. I'm telling you, I never I, I mean, like the only thing I remember my dad eating that wasn't like natural was Yoohoo. And like, <laughs> like he would drink a Yoo-Hoo on the road That's and every once in a while we would <laughs> leave you. the airport and we'd go buy Krispy Kreme and the hot donut sign was on. He'd kill all dozen. Oh, He'd kill a dozen on the, on the way home. Uh, 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 every once in a while, like once a year, we'd go make homemade ice cream, you know, like out you know, at the baseball field after the season, dad could kill some ice cream. I've seen him eat a gallon in one sitting. Get you know get the the headaches and keep eating. It was hilarious. Um, <laughs> so, but he didn't have a sweet tooth. He you know wasn't real big and he didn't drink much beer until he got um, until he got so thin after cancer that he needed the calories. You know, it's that's funny. I, I'm I'm picking you. Know, obviously, you touched on a lot, but but I think it's it's. Interesting to note that as a, as a child, your your dad, you know, had the Darth Vader grip on a doctor and basically cure, uh, cut a promo and scared scared your disease away. Oh, he told the doctor looked at him and said, "I don't think it's a tumor. I think you're right. Yeah, I think yes, we're sir. good. I think he's gonna be fine." Mom was sitting there going, "Paul, Paul, put him down, put him down." And uh, but he, here's the funny part about that story, and 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 it's so funny because you you know these things. The more you tell this, is there's pieces you start talking to people, and you're like, "Oh God, I completely forgot about that." the the sweet The sweet part of that story is, you know, he did it, and he, you see the anger and the intensity, right? And, and so, if you're that doctor, you're like, uh, you know, "Oh my God, uh, I'm gonna die. I'm gonna go out this window right now, and that's it." <laughs> but um, I think people saw that 
you know, that he had that trigger. I think other wrestlers knew, man, he would kill me. Like if I, if I go too far with him, he's going to go farther than I'm willing to go. You know, he, that, that's, that was that intensity he had. That being said, after that, they put a, uh, um, they put a, uh, uh, oh God, what do they call those beds when they bring them up to your hotel rooms? You know, like Murphy bed, like a cot, like a cot. Yeah. 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 They, they put a cot in my hospital room and he stayed with me the next two nights and didn't nice. leave my side. So after that tumor incident, because his anger was love. I know that's scary to understand, but his, in, like people saw it as anger, but I just saw it as intensity. And if you haven't figured it out, we're wired a little bit the same way. Yeah, that's I think I think that and you saw that in his work through the years. I mean, even even at the end, um, well, the end being a relative term, but but when he retired and then came back and he had you know his time in WCW and Smoky Mountain and, you know, he was still Mr. Wonderful, but the the there were definitely the, the spark seemed to be off a little bit. Like maybe he, his heart wasn't hundred percent in it, or he kind of knew this is the end, or maybe having a Saturday morning match with disco Inferno in front of 500 people. Isn't the, the same feeling as being in Madison square garden with Hulk Hogan. I don't know. So this is just my, again, I'm only going to give you my opinion and my perspective. And, and it's, it's something like I have psychoanalyzed, like literally sat down and talked to doctors about because I, I've tried to understand, you know, myself as well as, you know, how I grew up and some of the opinions and, you know, kind of the perceptions I have of things. So here's the thing I, you know, I, I've psychoanalyzed this. I've written it down. I, I had to fully understand it. And one of the things that I have come to conclude and believe is that when dad started this journey to wrestle, he truly found success, acceptance, and uh, a, 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 an identity for really the first time. And uh, you, you'd have to know the background of dad to, to, to put both the, the person into Mr. Wonderful and then see how his life played out and different things that happened in relationships and his parents and different things. But my dad's identity uh, very much was encapsulized in his body. And when he got hurt, it took a lot out of his identity. It took away some of his security. Um, it took away uh, that, that level of uh, maybe uh, nobody can hurt me. Um, and he had used that to, I think, overcome a lot of those demons he had as a child and, and how he was treated. So um, I think he lost the spark when he got hurt. And then from then on, he wrestled because he needed a paycheck. Uh, I'm not saying he didn't enjoy it, but I think he was always cognizant when he went into the ring. His arm doesn't look like it used to. And, and I have no doubt that that bothered him. Uh, from the time he got hurt till there was a, the reason he left wrestling is because dad refused to go to Vince and say, Hey, I'm hurt. I need to get surgery. Um, and then dad refused to get the surgery because he didn't want a scar on his body. Now, obviously at the time surgery wasn't what it is today. There was a lot more, you know, who knows how it would have turned out in the eighties versus him having the surgery in 96. 
you know, but he ended up having the second through eighth vertebrae taken out, cadavers vertebrae, titanium rod. But dad, you know, you think about it. What was his big gimmick? If he had anyone, it was his body in many ways. And, 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 you know, the, the pose offs with Atlas and rude, and now he's got a hurt arm. And I, I think it took away, you know, it, it, it put a chink in his armor, if you will, in his own mind. I can understand that. And and that's, you know, one way to that's an interesting way to look at it. And you wouldn't think about it that way. You know, Travis, you, you've really opened up to us and we appreciate your time. I don't know. Uh, some of this probably not the easiest stories to tell. Um, we did mention at the top of the hour that we've had multiple guests in the past, uh, family members, children, siblings, uh, spouses of of talent and. We uh, one of the guests we had on was was Paige Von Hess Sutherland and obviously Kurt Von Hess, uh, his his daughter. And she had some words about your father and Benny. uh, You know, I I really I I don't know if you saw this, but it was something we wanted to share with you. Yeah, she uh, she actually sent this to me, but she had posted it, I guess, uh, shortly after uh, he passed away. And I just want to read this to you. Um, R.I.P. to Paul Mr. Wonderful Orndorff. He will be sadly missed. 1978, Baton Rouge, uh, Paul lived in the same motel as us. He came to Kurt one day and said he was really missing his kids. Paul asked if he could take me for a soda to the restaurant just to sit and have a conversation with a kid. Kurt knew Paul well and said, okay. Paul sat down with me and told me all about his family, asked me about my life at school and being on the road as a family. He was emotional talking to me. I think it gave him a moment of normalcy in the chaotic world of professional wrestling back then. It was my pleasure to do that for him. I just think, like, you know, we talked about Mr. Wonderful. I mean, that is just a wonderful thing that he did. So what's amazing is, um, and maybe this will correlate to you, 1978 was the year I was born. And mom said... um, When I was born, that's when dad came alive and, uh, you know, changed and, and became very much a family man. And, uh, you know, he wasn't around for my brother, as you can imagine, put that in perspective, my brother being full 10 years older than me. Um, but he was around for me, you know, you know, a lot of people will say, you know, he abandoned me because he was gone for so many months of the year. But man, he always made uh, he never felt like he was that far away, you know, to me, just just how we felt about each other and uh, how we communicated. Um, but, you know, on our social media pages, I don't know if you guys ever catch him, but if you, you know, the. The, the sweetest and, and, and the, the most rewarding thing about the legacy pages is how many times I get a uh, message or a comment in a, a section that says, I was in this town and your dad did this. And, uh, you know, I get them every day. And, I you know, I just am so grateful that somebody would take the time to share it. But 
you know, I knew he did some of that, but even hearing that one, I mean, each time I read him, I get emotional. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I read probably two or three a day sometimes, you know, on a good day. And then, uh, but, you know, there's stories about, you know, he saved my life because he pulled me aside and told me to listen to my parents and, you know, eat right and, and don't get in the gangs. You know, there was a story of uh, some kids that ran into him in Madison Square Garden. And uh, after, you know, this is back when he's a heel, had a towel over his head and everything. And they approached him and asked him for an autograph. And he said, no, but I'll take you to dinner. And so he left the Madison Square Garden, took them down to a pizza place, sat down with them and asked them about their families, told them to listen to their parents. And he told them what they didn't need to eat pizza if they wanted to look like him and talked about how they needed to work out X amount of days. And, 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 but school was more important. And if you saw the number of people that said, I, I mean, I genuinely think it, it could be in the hundreds of thousands of people that would say, I started working out because of him or, you know, but, but the people that met him all say, God, he's the sweetest human being. Like I thought he was a bad guy. He is the sweetest, nicest guy. And, you know, he was both people, to be honest with you. Dad could be, a, <laughs> he, he could be an a-hole for sure sometimes, but the truth is, God, he had a heart bigger than you could fathom. And, uh, you know, for for bad or for worse or uh, for better, you know, it's what made him so intense. And, uh, it, you know, he was believable because he was authentic. That wasn't kayfabe. That was dad. He was that intense. And he wanted to make – he did want to kill you. He just compressed it because he knew he couldn't. At least you know, he, he wanted you... to – he at least wanted to run you out of the ring and make you regret wrestling with him. I mean, like – you had to be able to go. I mean, like Tito could go. You know, uh, some of those boys, they dad, dad would have them hosed in five minutes. You see them, they're like, you see them tapping, like, give me a second, let me breathe, and dad will like <laughs> settle back into the move, or you know, like <laughs> twist it again, and he's like, you ready, you ready, you know. And, uh, and you know, I've I've talked to wrestlers that have told me they're like, man, that one time your dad, man, I could not get him to stop. You know, it's funny, too, because at that point, when you're talking 80s, you know, early 90s with the second return, he was running circles and tying in knots, guys that were 15, some cases, 20 years younger than him. Well, and and it's go ahead. Dad, dad was stronger than they were. And, and, and he had country strength. I mean, like he he had the body, but dad had country strength. Dad was working at a chicken coop. When he was like eight years old, he worked hard labor like when he was a kid. And, and like when dad picked up a, anything athletic in college, he just decided to be on the road team and they won. Like him <laughs> and this other guy, like literally no practice, just said, hey, you want to be on the road team? Sure, I'm not doing anything this weekend. And they got first place. That dad would like dad was uh, there was a football game dad was in and he was a fullback and he was a uh, a linebacker uh, but mostly in college he was a fullback and a tight end and uh, like the 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 punt returner got hurt and he said Paul go in he ran two punt returns back for touchdowns <laughs> I mean so there he just God he was a he was such a gifted athlete he was a natural uh, he, yeah. yeah I mean and and Lee Haney uh uh you know Mr. world Olympia. eight time world champion bodybuilder yep. 
godly good man uh, was talking to uh, Hugh Kirby, who is my mentor, uh, uh, and has 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 helped me along in my faith over the years. And uh, he was talking to me about what Lee Haney said about dad. So this is Lee Haney, eight-time Olympian. Dad was at the gym, and they were working out together. And Lee goes, Paul, I, you need to kiss your mama because God and her are the only reason that you have your gifts because I've never seen anything like it. <laughs> and that's coming from an eight. Like, I don't know what Lee's thinking, like why he would say that, but to hear that from somebody of that stature of that, lo- that level. And to yeah. know that like that he got recruited to be a bodybuilder by Arnold and other people. So, I mean, I think, and he could move. Have you ever seen some of those? Like, uh, uh what do they call them? I, how long I've watched wrestling. Uh, some of his leaps over guys, like he gets above the third rope. Dad had hops. Like, he had the broad jump uh, record in high school in track and field in Florida uh, for the state of Florida till like, the early 2000s. So, Dad was just un, an ungodly athlete. It was, you know, he's Captain America. Like, the dude could, you know, uh, uh, man, where's that damn serum? It skipped my generation. <laughs> well, I'm... You you just you just had one of the greatest physiques in human history say that you know you look good so that's something. But I mean it's it's I uh, you you know no pun intended but but it's wonderful to hear the the stories and you know again I thank you for your time I mean I, obviously this is you know some uh maybe maybe uh sometimes not the easiest or or but i mean you gave us your time and you gave us a lot of great insight to uh I mean, one of the best i mean nobody really you talk about being a wrestling historian there's nobody out there that studies the past of wrestling that doesn't have or paul orndorff on their one of the best ever lists i mean he he's up there and it's just because of everything he could do and everywhere he went, like you said, he was the centerpiece. He he was the guy you could you could rely on, and he was still running circles all those years later. And again, I thank you so much for your time. But before we let you go, as we wrap up, do you have any uh, any closing thoughts? You know, um, I think um, the thing I would share is, you know, uh, there was, you know, I, I've said before there was two versions of my dad. Um, but there was a there was a decision he made when he was young, and this may not you know this this may not be for everybody. But I'm just going to tell you what my dad chose to believe and what he chose to do. Because a lot of people ask me, you know, how do you think my dad wanted to be remembered? And uh, you know, dad when he was uh, it had been 1984 or 1985, so you know about a few years before he re- retired from WWF. But dad you know, got invited to church by this guy and named Dr. Ike Reichert and dad goes to church. And the first time he's in church, he like literally breaks out of his sweat, like pouring sweat, the sides, his face, he's crying, like mom's freaking out. I'm young. I don't remember. Uh, but the day after that, dad gave his life to Christ and, you know, mom and anybody that was around knew that when he made that belief and, and he made that decision, it's something that he believed till the day he died. And, um, you know, that was that was a moment that changed him. And I think the most important thing 
that could ever be said about his legacy would be things like you heard from uh, Miss Van Ness that, you know, that the kind of character that that man was, you know, as intense as he was in the ring, he was in, even more intense about being loving and encouraging and developing, you know. So you you saw the the, the heel version, man. If if you knew the dad version, you just you just got to know that if you think he was intense as a wrestler, you should have been there at a at a football game, you know, when I was playing, like it meant something, right? You know, he 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 comes from you know Toronto with seventy thousand people, and he's on the sidelines during my senior year, going, "Get up, knock him out," you know. <laughs> I, I, this is this is the last story, I promise. So uh, my senior year, I go to this small Christian school. So, like, I'm 135 pounds, 5'9". Like, I weigh nothing. I'm not fast. I'm not big. And uh, well, I played uh, safety at the time. And the fullback was, like, 245. And he comes around the end, and I go up and I tackle him, and I'm out. Like, I'm totally knocked out. Like, I don't remember it. I remember going up, and I remember my head going into his his thigh pad, and he went down, and I went down, and then the only thing I remember after that was I'm at the field goal, going, "Do I need is basketball tonight?" Like, and they filmed it. Like, I'm literally had a, a, a concussion, and uh, I go back and I'm watching the film the next day because they filmed it, and you see Dad on the side of the 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 sidelines, like over me as I'm laying on the ground, and you see my you see my arm like flailing, like. It's clear I'm out or something's not right. Dad's like picking me up going, get the F up. Get the F. And then he realizes he's at a Christian school. <laughs> and he starts looking around and says, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so he was so intense. Uh, but, um, you know, there wasn't a time that I didn't get off the phone with him or leave his house that he didn't say he loved me and he was proud of me. And uh, that resonated and has carried on to every other family member and everybody that he ever interacted with, except for maybe Vince McMahon senior uh, <laughs> and or junior, excuse me. Uh, no, see, junior, yeah, junior. Uh, but um, you know, uh, we're 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 building his legacy out. We've got the uh, Instagram page, uh, 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 Mr. Wonderful Official. Uh, we've got uh, some kind of wonderful our our podcast. We're starting back episodes here in the next week. We had to take a break to get. Some things taken care of. We're about to launch. Uh, we just launched some T-shirts. We've got uh, we got shoes. We got flip flops coming. We've got uh, wow. hoodies. We've got some other merchandise and uh, some new figures coming out. So nice. uh, we're gonna build this out so that people remember and and can celebrate um, celebrate my father's history. Uh, you know, and 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 make sure they share it. You know, because you know I talk to kids that are 25 years old. They're like, man, I went back and watched your dad's matches. I now know why people liked it better than what we see today. Right. So, yep. um, it's, uh, it's been so rewarding to meet the fans and, you know, uh, it just helped, you know, all these merchandise just helps me to continue to do what we're doing so that we can, you know, have fun with it. I still have a full-time job. This is just, this is just for fun to make sure that we, uh, we can, uh, 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 honor him as a, as a wrestler, but even more as a man and as a father. Very much so. And I will say, uh, you know, be grateful. The, the history life that, that you were his son, because I can only imagine uh, a, a, a daughter, how he would have acted bringing a bringing a, a boy home for the first time. Well, I had uh, three. My brother had three children, uh, three nieces. Uh, and my 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 uh, my dad raised those three kids. 
Oh, okay. And um, I can tell you that um, my uh, brother-in-law was was quite nervous the first time he came over. Uh, but y- you have to know my dad. He was a sweetheart. Like dad's like, come on, let's hang out. Let's go. Let's go out and look at the truck. You know, like that. Dad was a sweetheart. So if you thought he was going to come in and be intimidating, like I could, all my friends said the same thing. Oh, I don't want to meet your dad. And dad would come in and like, like put his arm around him in a headlock. And of course they're like, I'm like, that's loving. I know it hurts, but he's being loving. I promise the pain will subside in a second. He doesn't know his own strength. <laughs> uh, you know, but you know, he was, he was bulky and strong, but he was so, he was a loving individual. Anybody that ever met him just enjoyed his company. Uh, all my friends, we never talked about wrestling ever. You know, we talked about Miami Hurricanes football and, and, and family and everything else. So he was he was a good he was a good man and a good Christian and he wasn't perfect but uh, he he was loved and he was saved by grace. Awesome and and I can't wait till the uh, new episodes come up. Travis, again, thank you so much for your time. For Travis Orndorff, pretty wonderful podcast for the BS Express himself, Benny Scala. I'm Dan Spouse Channel. Have a good night, everyone, and we will see you next time we're in the ring. Good night, folks. <laughs>